need somebody willing to get up before dawn, milk cows, work all day in the fields, milk cows again, eat supper, then go to town and stay past midnight at a meeting of the school board. So God made a farmer. My administration will be focused on three very important words. Jobs, jobs, jobs. This man must be a minister, a social worker, a diplomat, a tough guy, and a gentleman. And of course he'll have to be a genius because he'll have to feed a family on a policeman's salary. From this day forward, it's going to be only America first. America first. We, the citizens of America, are now joined in a great national effort to rebuild our country and restore its promise for all of our people. Because today, we are not merely transferring power from one administration to another, or from one party to another. But we are transferring power from Washington, D.C., and giving it back to you, the people. Hold on to your seats. Buckle up for safety. You are now entering another dimension with The Scott Adams Show. And that's right. My name is Scott Adams. You're listening to The Scott Adams Show. I want to thank everybody for tuning in today. Well, Henry Kissinger has passed away at 100 years old. Man, these these old geezers will live a long time. They lived a long time. The Carters and Kissingers. Jimmy Carter will probably be next. He He's not doing well either, but... Uh, Henry Kissinger, um, there's been a you know a lot of things that I agreed with him about, and then there's been a tremendous amount of things that I just thought I didn't agree with him about. And uh, not only that, but you know, I, I think as a his legacy, as history will tell his legacy, uh, I don't think it's a great one. I, I think that <laughs> you know, in, in one sense, uh, it depends on what generation or what period you're going through and how many decades you've had time to reflect and see how policy decisions played out. But certainly, you know, it was viewed as a wise thing that he did with opening trade with China and building China up. But then you start to see in the post-Trump world, the wheels of government and how the meat is really uh, made, how the how the sausage is made. And you start to realize that this is all about personal profit and, and enrichment. And that he got a lot of money. He made a lot of money. He was very rich. But he said a few things that uh, in recent years that were sort of in anti-globalists. Yet one of, his, one of the, he was the mentor to Klaus Schwab. One of his disciples was Klaus Schwab and the globalist agenda. So he was, you know, in one sense, you can almost say that Kissinger was like a poster child of the foundation of globalism, opening up world trade and things like that. Back in the 70s, though, you know, you almost had to look at that as a new frontier. So, you know, we look at our founding fathers and what Jefferson did and what Jefferson said and what Jefferson wrote. 
And all of a sudden, the interpretation today from these college-educated soy boy uh, weirdos is where everybody gets a trophy and uh, nobody has to fight for anything. No, Everybody's afraid to get their hands dirty. And they look at things from a different standard. They hold people accountable for things when they don't fully understand the lives that were being lived back in those days. So, you know, you can take a look at Kissinger now and and Monday morning quarterback certain things, but given the choices that he was made back in the Nixon years, a lot of people agreed with him. Opening up trade to China, um, you know, and, and from an economics perspective, there's always pros and cons to just about every economic uh, solution where every solution has an unintended consequence. And so it's quite interesting, you know, when you look at things. You know, like, yeah, I could even make the argument, although I'm opposed to it, but I can make the argument that slave labor and, you know, cheapening uh, open borders, for example. I was having this discussion with a liberal over the uh, about a week ago. And we were talking about open borders, and I first said, well, open borders isn't really a great idea. And he said, well, they're not open borders, they're, secure, they're poorly secured borders. And I'm like, no. But I didn't argue with him. I didn't argue with him because what's the point, right? Anybody who thinks that what Mayorkas and Biden are doing is not intentional, intentional is an idiot when it comes to that subject. And so I just say, you know, um, it's intentionally open. In fact, the only time they ever want more money to secure the border is to hire more processors to advance the import of slave labor and fake voters. And so the corporations finance all this. They pay for it because they want that profit. At the same time, they turn a blind eye to the election rigging that's going to end it all for everybody with this total tyranny that's going to result as a uh, uh, from rigged elections. And then tell me how the corporations are going to fare then when inflation's at a thousand percent, like in Venezuela or Argentina or wherever it was. But... You can make the argument and say, well, if we didn't have that slave labor, we would have a supply shortage because we have too many college-educated soy boys that want to be a transvestite, that don't want to work hard, that don't want to compete, that need a, you know, a quiet chair uh, to take a nap during their work day. I mean, it's absolutely absurd the world we're living in and what kind of product the universities of America are putting out. Today we're going to talk about universities and the influences from Palestine all the way down to Qatar and some other things about that. I saw a meme, for example, where it says, your child before and after crack, your child before and after cocaine. Uh, Here's a person before and after alcohol. And then they showed this other one that says before and after college. Like they're really comparing college with crack, cocaine, and alcoholism. 
And it made a good point, the meme did, because kids go into college looking one way, thinking one way, puritanically one way, and then all of a sudden they've come out flipped upside down, inside out, weak, uh, uh, impacted by the peer pressure, folds like a cheap suit against any kind of uh, competition. And it's just a terrible place. I don't think I could even recommend it unless you're going for a specific purpose. But I had this conversation. I said, well, the borders are open. Okay, well, he's there portally secure, whatever. But on the flip side, I found, you know, I I was I was saying, you know, I, I kind of see if we didn't have the open borders, we wouldn't have the cheap labor. If we didn't have the cheap labor, we wouldn't have the affordable products. I said the problem is, is that the government policies are causing so much inflation that in order to camouflage the inflation, you actually have to import slaves in order to do the products at $20 a day versus $20 an hour. And the same people that are promoting the open borders for the slaves and this cheap labor are the same people that are advancing, saying they care about you, and they're advancing $20 burger flippers at McDonald's. You know, the Kamala Harris's of the world. Equity. Never mind the fact that it's going to result in automation and nobody's going to have a job at the end of the day. I mean, they don't think these things through. The unintended consequences are fabulous. And, you know, when we have these open borders, yeah, you can make the argument that for the short term, it makes going to Walmart a little bit more palatable because you could afford that milk, those eggs, or whatever it is that the slaves are, are, are processing. The, you know, the slaves we let in. We get into a Lyft or an Uber ride share service and instead of the instead of the ride costing you eighteen dollars, it's costing you eight dollars. You save ten dollars. So we all kind of like sort of go along with it. You know, we like those cheaper prices, right? We want our money to go further. But if the government would have done the right thing twenty five, thirty five, forty five years ago. It would have been better, but they didn't do the right thing. They didn't. They kept on kicking the can down the road and making the snowball that much bigger, the snowball effect, to where we have a monster problem too big to fail. And we've allowed ourselves to get into this place where there's no return. And surely that's where CBDCs come in. The central bank digital currencies are going to bail us all out. It's going to enable the governments to hide all the ridiculous spending and the ridiculous amounts of debt and the whole interest format and relationship with money is going to change. They're going to have a reset. There's that ugly word reset again. And they're going to hit the reset button on money. And they're going to say, okay, we're getting on with a new currency you know, uh, January 1st, 2030, or January 1st, 2027, we are going to hit the reset. 
Money is going to go all to zero. The world is going to have a new currency. It's going to be called the central bank digital currency. <coughs> and everybody's going to love it. It's going to reduce crime because nobody's going to be walking around with anything of value. You're going to uh, own nothing and be happy. So there's nothing to steal. Your car, nobody can steal your car. The car is going to be driven by an automation GPS system, artificial intelligence. And you're just going to basically get in and out of leasing. You're going to lease your music through Spotify. You're going to lease your car through Rideshare. You're going to, you know, everything you do is going to be subscription-based. And who knows whether you'll have a job. But if you don't have a job, we'll be sure to have a solution for that too, the government will say. Like Andrew Yang, this universal basic income for those jobs who've been replaced, for those people that are unemployed, displaced from the workforce because their jobs have been replaced by automation. You know, we're living in a very, very tricky world. One could argue it started with Kissinger's opening the doors to a population of slaves in China, 1.5 billion people, 50 years ago. And now we're reaping the, selling the, you know, we're reaping the uh, percussions, repercussions of that. We shall see. So when Klaus Schwab, when Klaus Schwab mentor, the late Henry Kissinger, says it was a grave mistake to import so many people of totally different cultures and religions into the West because the tensions that arise as a result of that, you can be absolutely sure or certain that this was the plan all along. If divide and conquer wasn't such an effective strategy, globalists would employ, wouldn't employ it so extensively. Let's take a listen. And uh, what we're going to hear is a fairly recent Kissinger quote. Henry, for you, being born in Germany and having uh, survived the Holocaust, how does it feel if now on Berlin streets Arabs are celebrating the attack on Israel publicly and are distributing sweets uh, to other people? It was a grave mistake to let in so many people of totally different cultural and religious and concepts because it creates a pressure group inside each country that does that. Well, he knew it. He didn't just learn that, right? So why did he push it, advocate it, advance it? It's kind of crazy. You know, there's a lot of spooks in this world, and a lot of the globalists are in bed with the intelligence communities. And they're pushing these fake agendas, these false narratives, this misinformation, this disinformation. It's what they're doing. You know, 
I've known about this actually for quite some time, a few weeks. This CIA should immediately revoke the security clearance and suspend the official who posted a pro-Palestinian image on social media after Hamas terror attacks. So high-ranking CIA officer found sharing pro-Palestinian material on social media, Amy McFadden, cute little blonde, the associate deputy director for analysis at the CIA, altered her social media cover photo to one supporting Palestine, which occurred two weeks after Hamas, recognized as a terror organization by the United States, launched attacks against Israel. You almost have to wonder if CIA isn't in bed with the terrorists. After all, they were working hand-in-glove with ISIS to protect the oil fields that made the politicians rich and mercenaries that were getting paid thousands of dollars per day, putting their life at risk, no doubt, but still forging ahead and setting up shop in Benghazi and running guns over into ISIS, Syria, destabilizing Syria, destabilizing Egypt, destabilizing Libya. You know, they had their hand in the Bay of Pigs and Cuba back in the day. They're a bunch of academic soy boy morons, these people at the CIA. They get their degrees from these little private institutions in D.C. They think they're so smart because they have exclusive information But they're so dumb that they don't realize that that exclusive information is just plain stupid. That they don't know the right answers to anything because they've never even run a business. They're purely academic. They're putting pen to paper, but worse yet, they're pulling the trigger. See, a professor doesn't necessarily get to pull the trigger, but the CIA guy does. And these morons are so radically left the CIA official who posted the pro-Palestinian materials on Facebook in the wake of the uh, Hamas attack on Israel has been admittedly by the agency to be Amy McFadden, the Associate Deputy Director for Analysis, a post that involves approving CIA products. It's scary. This is all connected with our State Department, you know, and people like Victoria Newland who meddled in the Ukraine elections of 2014 with Jeffrey Pyatt and a bunch of other losers. You got Jake Sullivan over there. You got Anthony Blinken. CIA analyst Amy McFadden supports Hamas. Biden's White House rebellion over Israel reaches top of CIA. It's nuts. The CIA should immediately revoke the security clearance, and suspend the official who posted the pro-Palestine Amy McFadden. Let's take a listen. I think these reports are very troubling, especially the CIA officer. Why does a CIA officer have a social Tom media Cotton page expressing political opinions of any kind? The CIA and the intelligence world in general is not supposed to make policy and to 
post a flag of a or post a picture of a Palestinian flag waving the day the Israeli Defense Forces goes into Gaza is not some innocent expression of sympathy with the Palestinian people. I mean, it's obviously expressing hope for their victory over the Israeli Defense Forces. It'd be akin, I would say, to having an intelligence officer in our Department of War on December 8, 1941, posting someone waving an imperial Japanese flag or a Nazi German flag after those countries had declared war on us and vice versa. So these people should be, at a minimum, suspended and have their uh, security clearances suspended until an investigation can decide exactly what should be done with them. I think these reports are very troubling, especially the... Yeah, absolutely. So Hamas is a terrorist group. How about KLA, Kosovo Liberation Army? In the 1990s, CIA relocated foreign... Mujahideen from Afghanistan to Chechnya, Chechnya, Albania, and Kosovo. This new terrorism project had three purposes. Break up Russia and Yugoslavia, create new oil gas pipeline routes, and create small powerless countries who are easier to control. So KLA was a terrorist group armed and funded by bin Laden and USA alike. They committed horrific atrocities against civilians, including killing civilians and selling organs. But they were the good terrorists since they served the interests of the American empire. You know, it's sad, but, you know, like uh, um, Zelensky is no different, right? He's a Nazi. He's a uh, corrupt politician. He uh, has done everything wrong with Ukraine. I mean, he banned elections, banned his opposition, uh, uh, censored all kinds of, all media that didn't go along with the state. Then he took your taxpayer dollars and he allowed his cohorts to buy $75 million worth of private yachts, which has been clearly documented. And we're just supposed to sit here and take it. You know, it's absolutely absurd. It's it's crazy, really, when you think about it. I have this clip. I'm, I'm going to share it with you. It's, it's pretty mind-blowing, actually. Right here. Let's see if I can... Would it surprise you to learn that Ukrainian President Zelensky somehow managed to buy two multi-million dollar yachts? That's right totaling $75 million. And he did this apparently just a few days ago, according to documents. Uh, You might want to hide your purchases when you're Zelensky, though, because you have to have friends sign your paperwork for you so you can actually hide it, right? Uh, Do it through either a money laundering or a proxy. That's how you buy things if you're Zelensky. Remember when there was all that fear about a year ago when his wife was begging for money from uh, world governments and then was also caught having gone to Paris and buying all those, those expensive jewelry and bags and mm-hmm. everything. So yes. like, so American sends you, America sends you a lot of money and then your wife goes shopping in Paris. See how that works. Well, now Zelensky has bought two yachts. According to journalist Shazed Nasir, two of Zelensky's closest friends. Now keep this picture up on your screen. Two of the of Zelensky's closest friends purchased two yachts and they're moored in Abu Dhabi and Antibes. Just a f- my legacy, the one you're looking at here on your screen, uh, is Lucky Me, and the other one is My Legacy. See in the upper left-hand corner of your screen there, and you can see the purchaser, and you can see the name right there in the second box, and you can see the purchase date and the purchase price. 
$25 million for that one. And the other one is, uh, f- the other one was, uh, there it is, $49 million. Maybe you round up with some taxes and so forth. $75 million. How do you like that? $75 million, right? Caller, you're on the air. Hi there. I just wanted to offer you a theory that might kind of tie everything together. And my theory is that all of these things are connected to the three goals of these elite class that we have. One of them is that they want world government, they want population reduction, and they want slave labor. And everything they do is connected to those three goals. And that's why they don't care about American sovereignty anymore. They don't care about crime in the streets and people being killed because it all fits in to their goals of one world government, population reduction, and slave labor. It goes back to Roman times and Greek mythology almost. Uh, when you think about what the goals were for the Roman Empire, it was the rule to, to rule the world. <laughs> well, and for I'm a Christian, and for me, it fits in perfectly with biblical prophecy. The book of Revelation tells us that the world's population will be reduced by one-fourth. It tells us that there will be a one-world ruler, and that person will be known as the Antichrist. And um, I think it just fits in with what the Bible has to say. The Bible also says that blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, and while the Lord was our God here in America. He blessed us mightily. Well, guess what? The look at all of the closed churches. If you want to know everything that's wrong with America, just drive through any small town in America and see the churches that were once vibrant and full, and now we have more people, and the churches don't have anybody to fill the pews, and so they're closed. So it all, if, if you look at it from a Christian perspective, it all fits perfectly with what God has told us in his word is coming. And so with that, I'll let you go, and I thank you for your time. Thank you. Where are you what's your name, and where are you calling from? Oh, she hung up. I wish I would have gotten that information. Um, all right, so uh, there's this guy, uh, Michael Hayden. He was a CIA guy. He was comparing Christians to Hamas terrorists. Former Barack Obama CIA director uh, basically um, says that the uh, middle class Midwest American woman um, holding a Bible, holding her gun, and holding an American flag and then you had this Hamas terrorist basically holding a machine gun and clutching the Koran and wearing military fatigues. And General Michael Hayden, CIA director, said no difference at all. That's what he said. And this guy, Alex Cole, said, what's the difference? There's a huge difference in what was going on there. And and for him to say that, 
just this week. It's insane that these are the people that are running the, the head of the CIA. You know, I uh, it says here, Mossad and the CIA funded Hamas through proxies in Qatar, where the leader of Hamas all live. So Hamas and Qatar are joined at the hip. So I was at a uh, speak, uh, I, I saw a, a speaker, Ben Freeman, uh, one day in, in, in Washington, D.C., a few years back, probably about four years ago, three years ago, something like that. And this, uh, at the top of the list of universities that were financing, universities that financed education, Qatar, Qatar, was at the top of the list. So, um, it, I mean, it's kind of crazy, really, when you think about it, um, that they have so much power and influence. And it's, it's why we're seeing the Palestinian movement in our universities. In recent years, Qatar has been the largest investor in universities. It, too, has an image problem as a funder and supporter of terrorist groups. Hamas and the Muslim Brotherhood and the home of the rapidly anti-Israel, anti-American Al Jazeera television network, Qatar, has also hoped to solicit help from the United States to end the embargo against it imposed by other Gulf countries. So... Here we got nearly half of the gifts in the report came from Saudi sources. By far the largest donation on the list, nearly $85 million, was a contract between Qatar and Carnegie Mellon for a council for information and technology. There was also a case um, at Texas A&M that we talked about. So given the total of its contributions, it is not surprising that the largest gifts and contracts have come from Qatar. In fact, the top 25, all but three from the UAE and one from Saudi Arabia, came from Qatar. The largest was a $151 million contract reported in July 2020 to cover the budget for the establishment and operation of Wild Cornell Medicine. So Cornell Medicine. In Qatar, the new two years, the, the next two years, Cornell received 137 million dollars and 149 million dollars for the same purpose. From 2012 to 2019, Qatar, Qatar, signed contracts with Cornell each year for the for the peculiar amount of 99.999.999. So that's 99. It was 100. A hundred million dollars, or is that a billion? I think it's a no, no, that would be nine hundred ninety-nine. So about a hundred billion dollars, a hundred million dollars. Other large, yeah, wow, that's amazing. Other large transactions from Qatar included ones from ninety-five, eighty-eight, and eighty-three million dollars to Texas A and M for an unspecified purpose 
84 million and 77 million went to Carnegie Mellon and 75 million per year from 2016 to 2019 and eight other contracts worth more than 50 million each to Cornell. The UAE made two $75 million gifts to the University of Texas MD Anderson Cancer Center. The largest Saudi gift was, strangely, to the University of Idaho for tuition and fees for students. So I posted this up on Scott Adams Show's Twitter feed over twitter.com slash Scott Adams Show. And you can see this for yourself. I was at a speech in Washington, D.C. a few years ago, and I saw this firsthand presented. This media coverage actually comes from that research that I actually witnessed with my own eyes. So I just, you know, you should see the numbers. And Qatar is is headquarters for, like, home for Hamas leadership. And they're the ones that are infecting our universities. So it's absolutely important that we understand what's going on here. And these CIA members that, and these influencers that get on TV, um, the Mockingbird Press, they're also getting this money. It's not just going to the universities. It's going to the uh, top CNN, MSNBC, Fox News anchors and advertisers promoting a variety of causes. Top-ranking CIA officials shared pro-Palestinian Facebook posts weeks after Hamas terror attack. We just covered that. So this was a, basically a New York Post article. Did anyone ever hear about this? Take a listen to some of this. This is just unbelievable. But this is, this is uh, James Clapper talking about all the underhanded stuff in a secret audio recording that was uh, under seal in a private session with the, uh, I think it was the House Committee. Let's take a listen. Domestic terrorism within the country and access was limited to a certain group headed by Ron Rosenstein. This became known as the, you know, the Dirty Trick Squad in Baltimore. This is where they were using Hammer, Sunrise, Sunset, things like that uh, to illegally spy on people, corrupt, uh, well, attempt to corrupt judges, compromise them, uh, Hillary Clinton, others. I mean, it was just ongoing. They concentrated on judges, but they wanted to concentrate on this. And they would illegally compromise people, illegally wiretap, break into computers, plant reverse, change information, change emails, things of that nature. <clears throat> and it was in this capacity of working with them that uh, the information about the judges and Roberts and Pence and things like that have come out. I've tried several times in the past to get it out and was thoroughly squashed by Rod and the DOJ and the FBI uh, to a horrible extent. I tried to get in 2015. Tried to end run them and go to the Department of Homeland Security. <clears throat> but in the video, I tried to warn President Trump about the people that he was dealing with daily, and especially Rob and Pence, things like that, as they were working together to remove them, trying to compromise the people around them, get their land when they possibly could. 
how are Rod and uh, Rod Rosenstein and Mike Pence connected? Uh, that group, I mean, they're all interconnected one way or another. That particular group was Rod. So I've played this before in the past. This is Rod Rosenstein and Mike Pence working together, and there's just a lot of uh, shoddy, shady intelligence, and it's led to the corruption up all the way up to the Biden crime family. So the other big story that we want to cover today is that we have um, new announcements about the Biden crime family. Let's take a listen to uh, James Cohen. Joe Biden has repeatedly lied to the American people about his family's corrupt influence peddling schemes. Our investigation has revealed how Joe Biden knew of, participated in, and benefited from his family cashing in on the Biden name around the world. First, President Biden told the American people he never spoke to his son about his family's business dealings. That was a lie. President Biden spoke by phone, attended dinners, had coffee with his son's foreign business associates. These individuals include Russian and Kazakhstan oligarchs, a Burisma executive, and a Chinese national who funneled millions to his son. President Biden claimed there was an absolute wall between his official government duties as vice president and his family. But there was no such wall. The door was wide open to his family's influence peddling schemes. But Joe Biden allowed his son to catch a ride on Air Force Two at least a dozen times to sell the Biden brand around the world. The, the National Archives has also identified the office of vice president emailed with the Biden family and their businesses over 29,000 times. However, the White House is withholding these emails from Congress in addition to the 82,000 pages of pseudonym emails. 82,000 pages. President Biden claimed his family didn't receive money from China, but we all know they did. President Biden's son, brother, sister-in-law, and daughter-in-law collectively received millions from CCP-linked entities. We've also revealed how Joe Biden received $40,000 in laundered China money in the form of a personal check from his sister-in-law. The White House and corporate media continue to move the goalposts as they seek to cover up for President Biden and his family. But Nate, make no mistake, financial records, emails, text messages, and witness testimony reveal that the Biden family enterprise is centered on Joe Biden's political career and connections. Joe Biden knew about, participated, and benefited from these schemes. This is a national security threat at the highest level of government, and Americans demand accountability for the Biden corruption. Over the next two months, our committees will interview members of the Biden family and their associates about this record of evidence. We expect full compliance with our lawfully issued subpoenas. No one is above the law, even if your last name is Biden. Our committee will first interview and depose witnesses. We then, of course, would welcome Hunter Biden to testify at a public hearing at a future date. Democrats should have no concern with first deposing and interviewing key witnesses. This is how they conducted their impeachment inquiry of former President Trump and the January 6th committee. President Biden's pattern of lies, corruption, and obstruction demand action from Congress. We will continue to follow the facts and hold President Biden accountable to the American people. All right. So then over on the Ways and Means Committee, uh, we have uh, Jason Smith. Let's take a listen. 
Thank you all for being here today. Thank you, Chair Stefanik, for, for having us. Most Americans, they work hard to provide for their families. They follow the law. They pay their taxes. But the Biden family has been playing by different rules. Two brave whistleblowers came forward to expose the political interference impeding an investigation into the tax crimes of the president's son, Hunter Biden. These are serious credible IRS investigators who risked their career to come forward, amidst threats from those representing the president's son that anyone prosecuting the case would be committing career suicide. And as one might expect, they provided substantial evidence backing up their testimony that we have reviewed and released over the course of our work to hold government officials accountable in the days since their initial testimony, we have learned that President Biden wasn't just aware of his son's business dealings. He wasn't just involved, but he appears to have directly benefited from them. This directly contradicts the presi the, what President Biden said throughout his presidential campaign and while being president. We have learned about what can be described as the International Bank of Joe Biden, a lending scheme that saw special loans to Biden family members repaid with funds from Chinese executives. We have learned about a Hollywood attorney acting as a special benefactor by paying off at least two million of Hunter's tax debts in order to keep it out of the press at the beginning of the 2020 campaign. When confronted with this potential campaign vi finance, finance violation, an assistant U.S. attorney refused to investigate because, quote, she was not personally interested in pursuing it. We have learned that DOJ officials went out of their way to remove the mention of political figure one, a.k.a. Joe Biden, from search warrants. As Ways and Means Chairman, there are three major aspects that fall into my committee's jurisdiction. First, we need to get to the bottom of what exactly happened at the Department of Justice and the IRS to impede the Hunter Biden investigation. Did Joe Biden use his administration to protect him from the scrutiny? Second, the Biden family appears to have used numerous accounts, transactions, and loans to mask the flow of money. If these loans were in fact legitimate, they should be interest income. There should be interest income reported on tax documents. Was such reported? Third, how did Hunter and his associates move money through the many shell companies that have been identified? Is there tax information that would help explain the complex web the Bidens created? Over the next week, the Ways and Means Committee will take further action to pursue the truth and follow the facts wherever they lead. We will be holding a hearing with the IRS whistleblowers to discuss the investigation as well as releasing additional material that they have provided. The American people expect no less. I am pleased to recognize the great majority whip from the state of Minnesota, Mr. Tom Emmer. 
Yeah, that's pretty powerful. And uh, and then uh, Stefani, uh, uh, Stefanik, uh, Stefanik um, also gave a really good account of what was happening. Um, but we're not going to play that. Um, we also have uh, what we've been talking about the uh, the World Economic Forum and globalism. They all seem to be operating from the same page. So let's take a listen to this for a second. Under the new rules provided by the COVID-19 emergency, many other elected leaders were empowered to show their true colors. Interesting how they all marched in perfect lockstep while chanting the same slogans. This pandemic has provided an opportunity. Here we are now with an economy in crisis, but with an incredible opportunity. It's certainly a major crisis, but it also offers us a unique opportunity. Unprecedented opportunity to rethink and reset. The great opportunity for reset. Opportunity for us to reset. For a reset. It's almost as if they all attended the same school of thought and studied under the same professor. So remember what I was saying about reset, crash the economy, then reset it with central digital bank, central bank digital currency? Again, this is their philosophy. This is what they do. They break it like cloward and pivot, then they build it back up, and they maintain control through rigged elections. Some people would say this revolution is characterized by the fight of robots against human beings and we will win this fight professor klaus schwab was born in 1938 in ravensburg germany where nazi crimes against humanity were committed his father eugene wilhelm schwab was the managing director of escher weiss ravensburg a company that used slave labor to manufacture weapons of war for the Third Reich. While Klaus's father was at the helm, the Nazi party awarded Escher Weiss Ravensburg the title of National Socialist Model Company. Years later, Klaus Schwab joined the board of directors at Escher Weiss Ravensburg, where he played a key role in the development of South Africa's nuclear weapons program during the darkest years of the racist apartheid regime. Today, Klaus Schwab is the founder and executive chairman of the World Economic Forum. And it's about as white as it gets, too, over there. Uh, you know, there are a bunch of racist Nazis, really, over at the World Economic Forum. And, uh, you know, I had this other piece, too, but there's a lot of um, curse, curse words. Um so I, I can't really use it, but uh, they. I'm going to start with the first part of it, and then I'm going to stop because they get colorful. But it says we need an American version of this created. Uh, this hits home here, so we need this satire. Hello, I'm from the government, and I'm from the opposition. We might not agree on much. Well, apart from tax cuts for the rich. And blowing billions on nuclear subs. And outlawing peaceful protests. And screwing refugees. And doing whatever Santos tells us to. And prosecuting whistleblowers. And giving our mates plum jobs as trade commissioners. Wait, wasn't that us? It was both of us, stupid. Okay. So, you know, it goes on, and it starts to get colorful in, in, with some cursing and stuff. But uh, I think it's great. Yeah, I, I have it up on my 
Twitter feed over at twitter.com slash Scott Adams show. Please give me a follow and you'll get the notified of all these things that I post. Um, these are all part of things that I like to conclude in the show or at least share with my followers. Um, but this uh, is basically saying, you know, ta- campaign finance reforms are designed to keep the rich in power because they're getting money through uh, stock investments and insider trading. And the people that aren't on the inside will get arrested like Dinesh D'Souza for, for you know, the smallest of violations. So it makes it very hard to compete with them. Check out that satire if you can. Um, also, I want to play this. World Economic Forum. This is uh, one of my favorite people, uh, Christine Anderson. Let's take a listen. I am so very honored to be here with seven very brave citizens who came here today to launch an initiative for a European citizens initiative, an initiative which will hopefully be accepted by the EU Commission, although I don't really hold my breath, to be quite frank, but I seriously hope we will uh, be able to do that. These seven citizens are so incredibly brave because they stand up against this despicable attempts by the globalitarian misanthropists. She calls them globalitarian uh, philanthropists. Um, she says this will end if we simply say no, and that's what we're here to, to say. Fight back against these uh, the WHO who control and run, or who, are, who is controlled by and run by multi-billionaires like Bill Gates. So that was the point that she was going to make. I'm going to go ahead and take this caller. Caller, you're on the air. Scott, hi, this is Johnson, Illinois. Good morning to hey. you. Hey. So, you know, we have some headway. Garrett Wilders looks like he uh, scored a big victory. Netherlands. The, uh, the anti-immigrant, yeah, the Netherlands. Fighting and for the farmers. Think, yeah. Exactly. And you've had some rumblings in Sweden. You, I think you have something really going on in Germany with the AFD, and, and they have been really brainwashed. I think the U.S. had a lot to do with that about their own history since the 1940s. Time for them to stop apologizing, and, because that has led them to make terrible decisions and to do whatever we say, which is, I mean, you pointed it out earlier. It's just one disaster after another, the whole Kosovo thing. They planted a Muslim country in the heart of southeastern Europe when, in the long run, that was going to be a problem for Europe. But they thought they were too clever by half, and, hey, they're not here in the U.S., so we're going to play a game with it. Like so much they do turns out to be a disaster. And then, and, and the, I, I could go into that, but that, that, that whole thing trying to counter Serbia, so somehow Serbia is the bad guy. Why? Because somehow, they're, they're, yes, they're historically allied with Russia, so they had to do this. They create so many problems. <laughs> Think if we had just stayed home for this time how much less mischief there would have been in the world. I, it, it's, it's staggering, actually, when you think about it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, the, and, yeah. The CIA and the State Department get it wrong so often. I mean, these buffoons, I mean, the whole Russian hoax thing blew up in their face. Everything they touch fails. Well, you know, in the 80s and 90s, you see all these movies about the CIA, Get Smart, you know, from the 60s. 
you thought these guys were the brain trust. And it's, it's, it's incredible how it's not true. I mean, there's so many things they get wrong, right? They thought yeah. the Soviet Union was going to be, you know, continue on for decades. Within a few years prior, this is right before they fell, they thought, yeah, the Soviet Union's doing well. They're solid. They're not going to fall. Oh, well, look, they thought that killing JFK would have been a good idea. Right. They thought that the Vietnam War would be great for the military industrial complex. I mean, come on. Well, give me a it break. It probably was. <laughs> yeah, it probably it was, was for, for, for Bell Labs and the Huey helicopter. And, and that that connects directly with Ruth Payne and her husband, Michael Payne, who were working for Bell Labs and friends with uh, uh, Alan Dulles, uh, who got fired by Kennedy. But that, you know, I covered all of that on my Kennedy uh, assassination yeah. show. But, yeah, it's crazy. Mo once said to Larry and Curly in the Three Stooges, we'll fight to the last drop of your blood. It's <laughs> yeah. always someone else's blood. And, you know, just to double back to what you said earlier in the show about immigration, you know, I think there's a misnomer on immigration, a misunderstanding on that. These people actually, are, the illegal immigrants, and even legal immigrants, particularly low-skilled ones, do not benefit the economy. In that, if you take into account net benefits provided in terms of taxes and whatnot, at least, and net received, they actually cost the country money. And this has been demonstrated many times. But the way they waved it off and say, well, over a couple generations, they become net contributors. Well, that assumes the same model, I believe, as European immigration, because that was a much more productive immigration from decades and decades ago. And they assume, well, this is just the same. But it's not the same. And look at the experience in Europe, people on intergenerational welfare. So I would argue that it's flawed even to say that well, they benefit the economy. I would argue that most of the inflation has been suppressed, at least in goods, by China and the importation of goods from China, Mexico, and other low-wage countries, I suppose. Services, yeah, are probably cheaper. What are they need that? I mean, so many of these services that we get, yeah, you could do them yourself. And the other objection I have is it changes the structure of your economy. Why do young kids not work jobs that much anymore? When I was a kid, I caddied. I did all sorts of that. I did paper routes, substituting for other kids. And you learned a work ethic. I didn't like to do it necessarily, but you got tougher as a result. And yeah. now our kids, those jobs are done by adults. And then we give them, they're not paying for their kids' property taxes, you know, the, the, the taxes to pay for their kids' schools. I mean, what can they pay? They're not paying for a lot of their services. The food banks, a lot of them are used by new immigrants that are supposed to be for Native you know, Americans, meaning Native citizens. Right. And so you end up with a lot of hidden costs. And we've been able to pay for that over. That's where I worry about the avalanche, because I think we don't notice it because we pay them benefits out of borrowed money. Yeah, what multiculturalism is way overrated. i got to go, but thank you for, for calling in, John. Uh, yeah, I mean, God, you take the uh, Christmas tree lighting in New York City, and uh, it just fell. You know, they're protesting with Hamas all over the place in in Rockefeller Center. It's absolutely crazy. Thank you for calling in. Never. Thank you all for listening to the Scott Adams Show. Be sure to check out MAGAPAC.org. Find out how we're advancing America first policies to make America great again. Also, make a donation over there to keep the Scott Adams Show commercial free. And use Red State as your promo code over at MyPillow.com. We'll see you next time on the radio. Bye-bye, everybody.